Good morning, Ember, and our Ember friends. We are glad you are joining in this morning. Again, this is our second week where really everyone that is joining us is joining us by Facebook Live or now through our new platform on YouTube. And I got to tell you, I was planning a, a series as part of this series on the basics. I was planning a message on worship and this past week, I was just thinking about how I'd love to see on Facebook on Sunday mornings how people would put on their, their page, they'd say, hey, I'm going to get my worship on, and I would, I would love that. You know, if, after you've been a pastor for a while, you're just glad to see people in church. You're, you're glad to see them be part of a church family, and, and so it, it doesn't really matter where they're going. It's exciting to see that, and I'd love to see that I'm going to get my worship on, and, and I understand the, the full heart of it, and, but the Lord was kind of challenging me on that, and he said, well, why do we ever turn our worship off? And I thought about that. I said, wow, turning, turning our worship off. Yeah, do we, do we have to? Do we, do we need to? And, and so I want to just tell you, as part of the body of Christ in this season where we're not able to be together like we normally would, that that doesn't have to affect our worship. It doesn't have to stop our worship, and it, it doesn't have to interfere with our worship. We truly can keep our worship on. And so the message today is just that, worship on. I love Dr. Mike when he's been kind of updating us on things. He says, stay calm and worship on. And so today, I want us to dig into that. And to do so, we need to turn to John chapter 4. And I'm already there. I'm in John chapter 4. I'm in verse 23. And here's what it says. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. And I thought, wow, the the Father is actually seeking worshipers. He's, he's desiring, I believe, even calling people to, to worship Him. And I love to ask questions when I read Scripture. I would hope that you would do the same as you're reading. You're just asking questions and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. And so I'm asking the question today, why is God seeking worshipers? And as I, I think about that, Clearly, it is not because God is egotistical. Clearly, it is not because God is in far off heaven somewhere just desiring, oh, I just want everybody to bow down and everybody to raise their hands and everybody to tell me how much they, they love me. Clearly, God is not an egotistical person that just simply needs to, uh, to be puffed up. So why is he seeking worshipers? And so I thought about this. Here, here's the definition of worship. And the amazing thing about Scripture is because we're dealing with Hebrew, and we're dealing with Greek, there's all kind of different words and they have different meanings. But here's just a few that help us round out this thing of worship. It is to, to give worth. Uh, I love one. It's to, to kiss like you, you'd bow down, to, to serve, to adore, to honor. So why is God seeking worshipers. And I believe it is because this, because we become like what we devote ourselves to. We, be, we become like the things that we honor and we, we value. Let's just take, for instance, I'm going to pick on some of us sports fans for a little bit. It amazes me how some of us men can 
quote certain statistics. I mean, we know how tall LeBron James is, how much he weighs. I, I don't even know how tall my wife is. Uh, but, but we know these statistics. Why? Because we're, we're devoted to it. We, we love the game, and so we know all about it. How many times do people have hobbies, and you know their hobbies because they're fully vested in that hobby. They, they've got the clothing. They've got the, the, the wares. They have everything they need, the best of it. And so you know they're absolutely devoted to whatever this, this hobby is. And so we just sit down and have a conversation with someone, you'll, you'll know what's on their heart. You'll know what they love. It'll, it'll come out. And, and so I believe that God is seeking worshipers for something that maybe we've not touched on here in Ember as, as importantly as we should. So I want to touch on it today. That we become like what we devote ourselves to. And if God is holy, I mean, he is perfectly whole. Then is God not drawing us to himself because of his great love to say, I want to draw you to myself because I want you to be like me. And if you'll turn your attention to me, if you'll devote yourself to me, then you'll become more like me. You'll become holy. And so that makes me think about two church strategies that we've had of, of moving people toward Holiness. One I tried for the better part of my life, quite honestly. And it was this, that God required holiness. And so I had to get rid of all the sin in my life in order that God might hear my prayers or uh, that, that God might move in my life, that, that somehow God would love me. And it became this sort of endless search. I don't know if this is familiar with anybody that's listening, but of just trying to root out every sin and just being so conscious of, oh, I did this wrong and I did this wrong and, and just feeling the weight of it. And I believe that first strategy actually focuses more on sin than it does on Christ. And because of that, we know that the wages of sin is death. And the more we focus on sin, the, the more we sort of get caught up in it and can't get free of it. But then there's a second strategy, and it's one that it took me too long. And, and so I hope it doesn't take somebody who's listening this long. But this is a strategy that starts with God. You see, God said that we didn't love him first. It says that, that he loved us first. And so I want you to go over to Romans chapter 5 with me, and, and I'll give you a clue as to what I've been doing. Many of you have been reading through the Bible in chronological order, and Embers, I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Uh, but I felt like this year I needed to commit some, uh, some Scripture to memory and, and large portions of Scripture. And so I've been working on Romans chapter 5, and I've been doing pretty good. I was getting from first through through 5, and things were going well. But then I got the 6 through 11, and I was struggling with the words. And I want to I read the words to you because it shows us that we don't initiate this thing. God initiates this. And so listen to what it says. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. It says, for one would hardly die for a righteous man, but perhaps for a good man, someone would, would dare to die. And I stop right there and I think, yeah, who, who's going to give their life for, for people who are, I mean, we're not talking about just not perfect. We're talking about people who are depraved. We're talking about people who are 
so far from God. And, and yet it says at the right time Christ died. He died for those who were who ungodly. Let's, let's keep looking. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I, I think this is the gospel right here. This is the gospel in one chapter. That while we were enemies of God, that Christ died for us. And in verse 9, much more, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now watch this progression. It says that we were ungodly, we were sinners, we were enemies of God. But what did God do? He sent His Son to die for us in that state so that by His blood we'd be justified. Remember, we know that we, we call justified this. We say it this way, just as if I had never. So it's just as if we'd never sinned, that, that the, the wrath of God, we think, oh, He would never love me. No, He'd never have me. I, I could never have a relationship with God. And He says, no, you, you absolutely can because you're not enemies. You're reconciled through the death of Jesus. And then, my favorite part, you're saved by His life. That for many of us, we get stuck at salvation and we never grow into maturity in Christ. And then it says this, and not only this, but we also exult in God. And I love that. It means to like joyfully leap. And so I, I went through all of that, one for this, because some of you may not have a relationship with God. And I felt like today I needed to give you the gospel, which is this. This thing didn't start with you. And there's not a whole lot that, that you could do other than receive the word of God in faith. Romans 5 says this, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so I want to tell you that this thing started with God and we have the ability to enter into a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, this amazing thing starts happening. We start seeing Him for who He is. And we start being drawn to Him. And we want what He has. And we become more like Him. And so, a quote from Richard Foster I want to give to you is this. Worship is a human response to a divine initiative. <laughs> I don't know if any of us have ever tried to manipulate God through our worship. But maybe we needed something. Maybe the finances were off. Or maybe we needed a job. Or there was something going on with our kids. And we thought, well, well we'll just worship God. And if we just worship Him, that, that, that God will move on our behalf as though somehow worship is going to move God. Clearly, Scripture says that God inhabits the praise of His people. But, but that almost feels like manipulation to me. Does it to you when you hear it that way? I'm going to worship so that God will move. Actually, I believe it is this way. I believe that when we see what God has done through Jesus Christ, we can't help but worship. As, as I've been working through those verses, and I pray you'd spend some time on them this week. It's Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11. I'm like, God, you did that for me. So that, so that I can enter into a relationship with you. And, and I'm overwhelmed by it. But as a pastor, I know one thing to be true, that, 
Sometimes just because people start with God doesn't mean that they're going to end well. I've seen a lot of people over time that, that they start out and the love of God is full in their heart and then something happens. I think it's life. Life happens and we get distracted by work and family and kids and obligations and, and somehow we just lose our joy and, and we stop worshiping. We stop being in awe of God. We stop being in love with God. And, and then sometimes I think maybe we misunderstand and we think that we only worship one day a week anyway. I mean, there's like six days we got to work and make money and we got to take care of the kids and do chores around the house. And we got this one day Sunday and we, we go and worship that day. But what if you never had to turn your worship off? What if it was something that you could, you could do on an ongoing basis? And so I've got a couple of scripture I want to, to take you to. If you'll just turn over, if you've been in Romans with me, to Romans chapter 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see it there? It starts with the mercy of God, and I, and I see that, and then what do I do? I just want to be the sacrifice. I want to bring the offering, and what's the offering? It's me. It's like, God, you did all that for me. Lord, I, I just want to give everything to you. What is a, a, a living and a holy sacrifice? What is our bodies as a sacrifice? I believe that it's when we offer up and say, God, my, my mind is yours. God, my heart is fixed on you. My hands, Lord, I devote them to you. My feet, they're yours. My, my emotions, God, you can have them. My dreams, I don't want to have any dreams that are not yours. Just everything about me, God, I just want to give it to you because you love me. You see, love has this powerful thing. It draws people and it and it brings people close because I believe there's something inside of us that, that wants to be loved. And so, I want to speak to the person today who maybe you haven't had your worship on, that you lost it somewhere. I believe there's a way to get it back, and I want to show you. I believe how God would walk you right back into a place of worship that would then make you absolutely whole, which is His heart for us. And so it is in Psalms, it's 100, verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. And so this thing starts out with thanksgiving. And sometimes with everything that's going on, we just forget to be thankful. I think about the story of Job. And, and Job has a lot going on. And so he, he forgets in some ways who God is. And God comes and almost gives him a biography in, in Job of, of who he is. And he says some things. And, and I'm going to paraphrase. And... But, but something similar to this. He says, Job, do you, do you cause the sun to come up in the morning? Job, can, can you paint a, a sunset at night? He says, Job, you know that ocean? How, how much of that ocean did you carry water for and, and fill? Or, or Job, how, did, how do you mark out where the ocean is supposed to stop? Or, or Job, what about those animals? Do, do you know how? Animals are birthed. Do you, do you know when and how long they're carried? When you look at a, a fawn or when you look at a, a baby duck or whatever it may be in nature, did, did you do that? And Job looks 
at God and he says, oh God, you know, I've heard people talk about you, but, but now I see you. And I think something stirred inside of him. Something began to be, be thankful. I, I want to take you to a story of a young man. He received Christ, and uh, he was just so thankful. He's in a bad spot. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a bad spot before, but you're in a bad spot, and you come to Christ, and he, he had, and people were doing some great things for him. They were helping him, and he was just so thankful. And so everything you did for him, he, was, he would thank you and just go on and on. It made you feel good to do, do nice things for him. And, and he was just so in love with God that he was reading his Bible and, and he was studying all the time. And, and so some things were happening with him is that he was developing this heart of gratitude where he was thankful for everything that was going on. He'd tell me about the, the sunsets. He'd say, did you see the sunset yesterday? It's just... It's just amazing. Or, hey, did you see that sunrise this morning? It's absolutely beautiful. Or, or hey, it, it's springtime, man. You see everything that's just coming out. And He was so thankful. It made me take notice of what was going on around him. But you see, Psalms 100 says that we don't just stop at thanksgiving. It says that we, we move on to praise. And so praise is when we actually begin to see who God is, his attributes and his character and his nature which is so important because if you don't know the the right nature and character of God that's why John 4 says we worship in spirit and in truth if you don't know the the true nature of God then you'll read strange things in the scripture if you don't know the true nature of God you'll treat people weird uh, you'll, you'll, you'll take advantage and manipulate and, and do harmful things to, to people. It affects all of our life. But as I watched this new believer, man, he was soaking up the Word of God. And, and when people did nice things to him, he'd say, you know what, God is just so faithful. Did you see the connection? Thanksgiving and the Word of God opened up his heart to see who God really is so that now he knows God's nature. And now he's praising God for being faithful. He's praising God for brother. For, for providing. But the story doesn't stop there. It goes on. He had an older believer in his life. And the older believer started asking him questions about God. Now as best I could tell from what I heard, this believer had been in church for, oh man, I don't know, maybe 40 years or more. Probably more. And I started calculating up the number of services that this person had been in. And it ranked in the thousands. And I said, why is it that this old believer is going to this young believer and, and asking him about God? <laughs> and the reason is because somehow I think that this older believer had lost his thanksgiving of God. He, he lost the ability to, to praise God. And maybe he was going into those services, but I don't think anything positive was coming out of him. I actually don't think that, that anything was being established in his heart. But here's this young believer, and he's saying, well, what do you think God says about this? The young believer would tell him. Well, well what do you think about this stuff that's going on in the world today? The young believer would, would tell him. And, and so I believe it is possible for us to sit in any number of services and never actually become a worshiper. But I believe that if we'll begin with thanksgiving and just begin to see what God is doing and just give Him thanks. 
if we'll allow, allow that to lead us into praise where we say, God, I, I see you now for who you are. That your mercies are new every day. I, I see you for who you are, that, that you're compassionate. I see you for who you are, that, that the way you love me and you take care of me, that that leads us to this place of worship then where worship is just this naturally supernatural response. It's, it's almost like, it was the most sensible thing to do. Worship was the, the most obvious thing for me to do. Just say, God, I, I love you. But then I'm, I'm drawn back to a song. I believe Matthew Redman sang it. And he said, Lord, we're coming back to the heart of worship. And it says, and it's all about you. And somewhere in there it says, I'll bring you more than a song because a song in itself is not what you desire. <laughs> And I wonder how many of us think that worship is just about songs. And so I, I, I want to spend the next little bit just talking about how worship can become a part of everything that you do. And, and so I'd like to start in this one place. I don't know if you know this or not, but your work is worship. Like wherever you go is worship. And if you'll make it worship, then what will happen is you'll become more like God and people around you will actually notice. You go into work and, and now you're not going just because of the money. And I, and I see people sometimes talk about they're going into work. And why? They're going in to make money. Honestly, y'all, that's not a good enough reason to go to work. <laughs> But what if you went to work to, to worship and as you were there, you're like, God, I just want to give my very best today because, God, you've given me your very best. God, I, I want to be reliable and dependable today because you're faithful. Lord, I want to be compassionate to the people that I work with today because, God, you've been so compassionate to me. That as you do that, that people would actually look and say, wow, that person, man, if they tell you that they're going to be somewhere... 10 o'clock, they're going to be there at 10 o'clock. If they tell you they'll have something done, they'll have it done. That person is really compassionate. And do you see what's happening? You are leading them back to an encounter with God. I, I've been thinking about worship and driving. I don't know if any of you have road rage or not, but that's a very popular thing nowadays about people who get very anxious when they're driving. And I said, you know what? I think we could end road rage. And we do it not by a set of rules that the government passes that says you can't get mad, because I guarantee you what? No set of rules is going to govern your heart. But what if you got in your car every day and cranked it up as an act of worship? And you said, you know what, God, maybe today I don't need the music. And maybe today I don't need a message from somebody on the, the radio. Maybe today, God, I just need you. And I want to just turn my heart toward you. And I believe as we do that, I believe we would have less frustration. I think I could end road rage. So, so I'll tell you, the way to get rid of it is for us to worship. And there's a point to be made. Most of the time, we're so frustrated in life because we're not worshiping. And if we were worshiping, then, then we wouldn't have those levels of frustration. I, I want to keep going. I met a guy who was uh, shopping this past week. And he was so frustrated. He was trying to check out, and you could just see the frustration on him. And as I've been sitting here, I was like, okay, Lord, i got to go into this store. And people's going to be kind of funny and distancing themselves, and it's a little bit chaotic. God, I just want to worship you and just be at peace and, and just have this gentleness and calmness about me. And 
And it was amazing when I was like that, how I'd noticed the people that weren't. It, it was obvious that when I looked at people, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> they're not worshiping, are they, God? Because if, if we were worshiping, we wouldn't be so frustrated and, and so out of sorts. And uh, I thought about telling the man, hey, you know, you wouldn't be so frustrated if you just worship, but that didn't seem like a good idea at the time. And I thought about this. I said, you know, rather than us tell people what to do, because as Christians, I know we like to do that. We love to, to tell people what to do. What if as Christians, we just showed other people what to do? We, we just demonstrated what it was like to not live a, a frantic, frustrated life. I got a couple more I want to share with you. What if we taught our kids early on that schoolwork was worship? Now, I got to tell you, when I was in school, it never crossed my mind. And I see how the enemy tries to take so many of our young people and, and capture their devotion so early on. But, but what if our young people were taught to go to school as an act of worship? I used to be the chaplain of a Christian school, and we would gather people together, and we'd tell them that it was time to worship. And this week I was meditating, thinking, how cool would it be for a kid, if he'd have walked up to me and said, Mr. Kevin, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to worship today and, and to sing, but honestly, I've been worshiping through math all morning long. I'd be like, do what? What, what happened to, to, who are you? Because it would be so fundamentally different than what we experience. And I, I think worshipers are fundamentally different. But I don't want to just talk about the, the kids. What about, what about adults and our chores? How we do the laundry and the dishes and the grass and, and whatever else. You see, there's, there's work that we get paid for and there's, there's work that we don't get paid for. And when I look in the garden, there's work before the curse. And then I look into heaven and there's work there. And I just believe that worship redeems work. That worship transforms work so that it's not this grueling sweat of our brow kind of thing. But I, in everything I do, I worship. I tell you, I think food that is made from somebody who loves God and loves people just tastes better. I think it tastes better. Then, and, and we've all done it, right? You're just trying to feed the family and so you just throw something on the table and it's like, here. And I'm like, hmm. I believe the food tastes better. I believe the, I believe the chores are done in such a way that it, it, just, it just has a different feel to it. And, and even play. Sometimes we get so serious as Christians that we think we can't play. But when I look at Jesus, it seems like he had a, a really good time. And uh, Scripture tells us that, that in his presence is fullness of joy. And, and so I think we can play too. I'll tell you this quick story. When I was younger, probably as young as you can have a memory, which I don't know, somewhere around five years old or so. But I remember my father coming home from work, and it was late. And I remember that we had all eaten, and his food was sitting up on the, the counter where we would all gather and eat. And he came through the door, and I was playing with matchbox cars. I still have these matchbox cars. And, and I was playing with these matchbox cars, and... Uh, his food was on the counter, and my mom was telling him, Lucius, you need to come and, and eat. Your food's cold already. And he said, I'll be there in a minute. And he got down in the floor, and he played with me. 
And you can see just by my reaction how important that was. That, yeah, I'm sure he was hungry and he'd been working all day. Uh, but there was something important about playing with his son. And so I just think that in these times as parents, we got to remember that, yeah, we got to go to work and we got to pay the bills. And yeah, we got things to do around the house. But there's some real opportunities to worship God while we play with our kids, whatever it is, play dolls, dance, listen to music, uh, play ball outside, whatever it is, that play can be worship and serving others can be worship too. And so this one's on my heart. I'm going to go ahead and, and throw this one out there because I don't believe that we're going to be quarantined forever. I believe we're going to eventually get back to where we can be in the services together. And I can just foresee this thing happening is that that Sunday when we're able to come back, everybody's going to be excited, going to be ready to be together. And there's going to be nursery workers in every church. Hmm. Oh, you know where I'm some of y'all been in church long enough. You know where I'm going that they're going to say, you know what? We need some people to keep the nursery because the kids, the babies are coming, too. And we're going to have some people to go, oh, no, huh? I can't do that because I got to get my worship on. And we'll refuse to keep nursery, refuse to, to work in some area where they can't come in. And I would say that that is fundamentally flawed, that service is worship. And I'll tell you, I believe one of the best places that you might could be that Sunday morning when everybody gets back together is in the nursery holding on to a child so that their parents could come. And they could worship freely. Ooh, that's another level. But it requires someone who has been worshiping all week long that says, you know what, I, I don't necessarily have to have another song. I don't necessarily have to have another message. You see, I've been singing all week long. You see, I've been listening to the Word all week long. I've been reading all week long. It is not a challenge for me to serve because when I am holding that baby, I am holding someone who is in the very image of God. You see, I'm not just doing it for this child, and I'm not just doing it for this parent, but I'm doing it unto the Lord. Mm. That to me is worship. That's worship that I believe that God says I'm seeking somebody like that. That can live in such worship all the time. That they can give themselves away in service to one another. And that that would be worship too. And I believe as we do that, that we become more like Christ. Let's just go back. Who's more like Christ in that story that I just told? The people who are coming in to get a song and to get a message and to be back in with the fellowship of believers? Or who is more like Christ when at that last supper when nobody wanted to wash feet? What did Jesus do? He took off His clothes and He put on a towel and then He took that basin and He washed their feet and He said, I need you to do like me. Who's more like Christ? The ones with their hands raised singing a song? Or the ones who are going to be in nurseries all over the place? And not because they had to, but because they wanted to. You see, what I'm trying to say this morning in closing is this. is that we never have to turn our worship off. We can worship in our work. We can worship in our play. We can worship in our 
time with our kids in our chores. And as we do that, i got to tell you, we'll be prepared to come back here. That when we do get to be together with everybody, that we're all coming not as empty people who need to be fed. The praise team will look at us and they will go, what in the world happened? We're not having to, to stoke people. We're not having to try to get people into the presence of God. These folks came ready. And then when we begin to strike up into that song, people are listening to those words and going, yeah, that's what I've experienced. Yeah, that's the God I serve. That's the one I know. Do you see what happens to your body when it's like, that's familiar to me? Versus the person that has had no worship, whose attention hasn't been on God, and they're standing there going, I can't relate to that at all. I think those people are making that up. I think they're putting on. I don't know how they could be so excited. You see, I believe we have an opportunity to worship all the time. And then when we come together as the church, that's not the ice cream. <laughs> it's like the cherry on top. And so my challenge to you is this. If you're able to work this coming week, then worship. If your work has been canceled because of what we're going through, then spend that time worshiping. Worship in everything you do. Practice it in driving. Practice it in everything. And in that regard, I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. That Lord, worship is a response. That it's, it's something that we first begin, I believe, with thanksgiving of seeing how you're moving in the world and what you've done in our life. And it draws us to praise. And, and out of that heart of praise, we just begin to, to see your nature and your character. And, and Lord, as we do that, it just becomes natural to say, Lord, I just want to give my life to you. And Father, right now, if there's anybody that's listening and they've never done that, they've, they've never seen you that way, but they're like, yeah, I'll, I want to be that. Then I would say to that person that is listening that the Lord is, is seeking after those who would be drawn to Him. And so, Father, I pray today that we were able to lift you up just like you were lifted up on that cross. And you said you draw all people to yourself. I pray you do that in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.